0: Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all today on this fine day. Uh, First of all, I want to thank the worship team, and they just do such a great job leading us in that time. So thank you guys very much, week after week, blessing us. And my name is Andy Middlecoff. I'm one of the pastors here and want to welcome you all here. And if you are a guest with us, a special welcome to you. I'm sure there are some guests here uh, with their moms and Uh, for Mother's Day, so that's great. Welcome here. Also, if you are online watching us, welcome here as well. We're glad that you could join us online. Let's all turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. It's toward the end of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then also, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat rack in front of you, it's on page 763. That's 763. And uh, yeah, is there something special going on today for mothers? What was that? Mother's Day. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. We are so blessed. Um, I certainly am with my mother and my wife, the mother of our children, but um, what a blessing um, you all are. We're so glad you're here today. We want to honor you. Bill's clapping. There you go. That's a good idea. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, mothers. Thank you for putting up with us, right? <laughs> Um, talk about loyalty, right, and, and uh, just being there for us. Praise God for mothers. Um, so a couple of gifts we want to give to you today. As you, you go out into the lobby, you're going to see cups that you can take over to our cafe across the, the courtyard and get a drink over there in the cafe. There are also flowers that you can get as well, and there's also a strawberry shortcake treat as well for you mothers. So we want to honor you, and um, God's word tells us to honor our father and mother, right? not just on Mother's Day, but certainly it's a good, a good start if you <laughs> haven't been honoring your mother, but make sure you appreciate her today. Tell her what you appreciate about her. Should we pray for our moms and, and pray God's blessing upon them? Okay, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful to you for the mothers you have given us. Uh, Lord, we, we do pray that you'd bless them today, um, especially with a close relationship with you that they would trust in Jesus Christ and walk with Jesus and live for Jesus and continue to point us and their kids to Christ. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would also bless moms today with good relationships with their kids. We pray for peace. We pray for unity. We pray that us as kids would honor our mothers, uh, not only today, but in obedience to you and out of appreciation for our moms uh, day by day, Lord. So bless them, strengthen them, bless their families. If there is a mother who's hurting, Lord, today, or one who would want to be a mother and is not, we, we just pray your special comfort and strength and blessing and encouragement upon them today and within their hearts. Lord, and as we open up the Gospel of Matthew to uh, be reminded of you and our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, oh God, open our eyes to wonderful things in your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, help me finish this sentence. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yes, A plus, guys. I'm going to tell you something that is true, but it sounds too good to be true, okay? So, but just believe me, and I do literally have the document here, a photo, a photocopy of the document for proof, if you want evidence, okay? So, Um, a number of years back when our economy was terrible, if you can remember those days, um, there was a couple and both of them, it really impacted their jobs. And I'm not going to use their names for their privacy, um, but they both, both their jobs really took a hit. And then the wife found out she had cancer. And because neither of them had good insurance anymore with their jobs, that really hurt them even worse. So they were at a point where they had to give up their house. They, they couldn't pay uh, the mortgage anymore. So they began to pray, Lord, please, you know, provide for us. Please protect us. And they'd prayed and pray. And so then they, they turned in um, a readjustment on their loan. They tried to get a readjustment on their loan. It got denied. They prayed again and again. They, they did another readjustment on their loan or tried to get another readjustment on their loan. It got denied. And they kept praying. And they didn't give up. So The third time, they try again, and they get their mail one day and and pull out an envelope, and they open it up, and I'm going to read to you here. It might be on the screen as well. Um, The line that it says, yes, you you see it up on the screen. It says this, You will receive a full forgiveness for the remaining principal balance of $216,048.56 on your home equity line of credit account. This means that you will no longer owe this amount. And they both say, wait a minute. This sounds like we no longer owe this amount. How could this possibly be? There's no way. We were just applying for a loan readjustment, not for a total forgiveness of our our debt. And they couldn't believe it. So they called the bank. Is this really happening? Am I reading this right? Is there a catch to this? What's going on? They said, no, 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 it's true. Your debt has been forgiven right? And the real reason I don't want to give you their names is because I know that you'll want to know what bank they go to, right? So <laughs> still to this day, they don't know quite how that happened, right? And here's the thing, thinking about that story, it makes us go, wow, how awesome would that be if the biggest debt we have, and I understand that some of you in business think 216, that's, that's not a whole lot, um, but, but, but for some people, that's a lot, right? to think, wow, that debt could be paid, man, if I was only so lucky, right? But we forget and we kind of downplay the mountain of sin debt that we have before God that he has, by his grace, freely forgiven us totally, right? So this morning, I want us to be reminded of how awesome it is, how wonderful it is that our massive sin debt that we could never pay off Christ paid by suffering and dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Can anyone say amen to that? So we're going to focus on that this morning. Before we look at five facts about Christ's forgiveness of our sins, I want to kind of break down this historical event here recorded in Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8. Let's go through it verse by verse. Verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed, which included his disciples, over and came to his own city. Of course, he was born in Nazareth, Now his home city is uh, Capernaum, right there on the Sea of Galilee. And it says, verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Let's stop right there for a minute. The awesome thing about the Bible is that you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels, and none of them claim to tell everything about Christ, but they work together. So where Matthew says one thing, Mark says another, and Luke says another, to fill in more detail so in Mark, it tells us what's going on here, and we're going to see this is the this is one of the most fascinating events in the Bible where the paralytic is lowered down through the roof to Jesus' feet. Take a look up on the screen, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, and, and when he returned, that's Jesus, to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together at, at that home so that there was no room, not even at the door. Um, and he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let him down uh, down sorry they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, the gospel of Luke tells us that it was a tile ceiling and they tore away the tile and let down this paralytic. I can remember as a kid, you know, growing up in church, I would love it when this was taught, just trying to imagine what it must have been, how desperate they were to bring their friend to Jesus. And take a look at the response of Christ, and then also the response of the experts of the law who saw this take place. Look at verse 2. It says, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, verse three, look at how the the experts of the law respond. It says, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. This man is blaspheming. Who were these scribes? Uh, The scribes were experts in the Old Testament law. What we call the Old Testament is the first three quarters of the Bible, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus came. And they were experts. They knew it line by line. And it seems that there was almost like an official investigation of Jesus going on at this point to check out, is Jesus actually uh, strictly holding to the legalistic views of the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that time, right? And so they came and they, they, were, they were scrutinizing every word he said, every move that he made. And when he said to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, in their minds, in their hearts, they thought, he is Blaspheming. Okay, what does it mean to blaspheme? Uh, It can simply mean, depending on the context in the Bible where we read it, blasphemy can simply mean dishonoring God. Any way that you could dishonor God is ultimately blasphemy. And sometimes it can also mean that you're claiming to be God, which is really the greatest dishonor upon God. Because you're basically saying, uh, God is this little insignificant human like myself, right? So they're saying, hey, you're blaspheming. What kind of blasphemy did they, did, did they mean? I think it's the one where they think he's claiming to be God, and he's obviously not. Because Mark also tells us another thing that Matthew doesn't tell us. In Mark chapter 2, verse 7, you'll see it up on the screen. As they're in their minds and hearts thinking about what Jesus is saying, accusing him of blasphemy, they also ask this question to themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? They're saying, you're acting like God saying that this man's sins are forgiven. Now, let's think about it for a minute. If, if Henry sins against me, can I forgive his sin? It's not a trick question. Yes, thank you, thank you. I can forgive his sin against me. Ultimately, God has to forgive him too, right? But because he sinned against me, in fact, the Bible tells us that we are to forgive each other when we sin against each other, Right? But um, if, if Henry sins against James, can I forgive Henry? No, because it wasn't against me. Ultimately, every sin we do, whether it's against some other person or uh, some kind of a sin, who is it ultimately against? It's ultimately against God. And, and that's because God is the lawgiver, the lawmaker, and his character lines up with the laws that he's given us. When we sin, we ultimately sin against God. And so God alone is able to truly forgive us. Now, we are to forgive as far as horizontally in in a human relationship, but only God can forgive us spiritually and ultimately. Uh, King David, we see that with him. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had his husband Uriah killed, he was definitely guilty, wouldn't you say, before God? And take a look at um, in Psalm 51. You'll see it up on the screen. David's response to God, his confession of sin, One thing that he says in verse four is this. He says to God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Now, of course, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. But what he means here is ultimately it was against God and he had to get right with God. So for Christ to say your sins are forgiven was really a way of Christ claiming to be God, and the scribes knew the Bible well enough to know you're guilty, unless in fact he was God, right? So something else that really uh, stands out to me here is uh, his response. After it says that they're they're saying he's a blasphemer, listen to what Jesus says in verse 4. It says, "'But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, "'Why do you think evil in your hearts?' You'll notice in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these scribes, these experts in the law, they're not talking to each other about this. They're simply all thinking the same thing because they all knew the Bible. They're thinking, this man's guilty. He's blaspheming. How could a man say something that only God can say? They didn't say it out loud, but Jesus knew what they were saying in their own minds and hearts. The fact is, is that one way we see that Jesus is God here is that he knew their thoughts. The Bible tells us that God knows the thoughts we think even before we think them, knows the words we say even before we know them. Now, we're talking this morning about the beauty and the glory of the fact that God has fully forgiven all of our sins because Christ has suffered and died for us and risen from the dead. But we often think, I don't have that many sins. I'm a good person. Uh, Okay, when you realize that Christ knows your thoughts, do you still want to admit that you're a a good person? (laughs) Anything that falls short of the glory of God is sin. Do you ever have a thought that might fall short of the glory of God? We don't always do what we think about, but we're thinking about it. We're desiring some things that are definitely inappropriate and wrong. And sometimes God sees that as sin. Not a day goes by without us sinning in one way or another. And God sees all of it. He knows all of it. And so then Jesus, um, when he asked that question, why do you think evil in uh, your hearts? He asked them a question, uh, often like he does when the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes try to trap him or or condemn him. He asked them a thought-provoking question to get them to think. Look at this thought-provoking question in verse five. Jesus says to them, "Well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Well, humanly speaking, both of those things are impossible. I can't forgive Henry's sin against James. It's impossible. I just can't do it. You have to be God. And I can't tell a paralytic, hey, get up and walk. You know what I mean? I can't do it. It's just impossible. Humanly speaking, that's impossible. But for God, it's easy. It was costly, Christ crucified, but now that he's crucified, it's easy. Your sins are forgiven. You confess your sin, you trust in me, you're forgiven. He has the power to raise the dead. The same God who said, let there be light in Genesis 1, by his powerful word, then instantly there was light. The same God who said that said to the paralytic, rise up and walk, and the paralytic obeyed him. This man who could not walk. The power of the word of God. Then Jesus, to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins, healed this man. Take a look at verse 6. After he asked the question, is it easier to forgive or to say, rise and walk? It says this in verse 6. Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men, specifically to the man, the son of man, Jesus Christ. Now, after kind of going back through this line by line, uh, let's look at five facts about Christ's forgiveness of our sins. And what we're going to find here, Lord willing, it will greatly encourage you in your walk with him. Fact number one, fact number one, if you're following the notes, uh, forgiveness of your sins is a greater need than the healing of your body. Do you believe that? You know, I can't help but think when these four friends brought their paralytic friend to Jesus and they went through all that trouble and embarrassment, right? You're tearing off the the roof of the house and everyone's going, what are you doing, right? They lower him down. I can't help but think maybe they were just a little bit disappointed that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven and didn't say right then and there, rise up and walk, right? They might have been a little disappointed. And the fact is, is that many of us have either suffered pain. It could be chronic pain. It could be an illness. It could be a disease. It could be all kinds of things. We've prayed and prayed, and God has not healed us. Or someone we love. And sometimes that's even harder when we see somebody we love suffering, and there's nothing we can do to relieve their pain. And there's something within us that's a little disappointed, like, God, aren't you able to do this? I see you healing people in your word. God, don't you, don't you love me? Don't you care for me? Don't you care for my, my friend, my family member? If I sinned too much, are you not listening to me anymore? And we get discouraged. But listen, one thing that Jesus is trying to show by forgiving first and healing second is what the priority to God is, is making your relationship with God right first, okay? And in this life, we may never experience full healing of the ailments and the pains and the sufferings we go through, but the priority to God is forgiveness of sins. A woman I appreciate greatly is Joni Erickson. Uh, When she got married, her name was Joni Erickson-Todd, ever since I can remember. I mean, I was probably five years old when I first heard the name Joni Erickson. But when she was 17, this is decades ago, she dove into a creek and uh, became a quadriplegic. And I didn't know this, but I listened to an interview of her a couple years ago, and I didn't realize this, but she is in daily absolute suffering and pain. You don't notice it by the pictures you see of her. Every night, she's suffering. She can barely sleep. She's even had cancer. Um, It's it's been a rough, rough life for her. Listen to what she says about the priority of spiritual healing, even over physical healing. She says this: sometimes in the midst of our desire to see healing, the end of our pain, or a prolonged life, we can forget that there is something far more important than having more days, even painless days on this earth. There is eternity to consider. You know, we could be healed in this life, but if we're not healed for the next, it's there's no comparison, right? You know, so you may be discouraged. And you know, what I want you to do, if you're chronically suffering or if you have an illness that you know is going to result in death sooner than you'd like, remember this, God has not forgotten about you. God knows what you're going through. God cares about what you're going through. If you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are forgiven like this paralytic man, fully and totally forgiven. And that's something that ought to encourage you and reassure you of his love day by day, even if you never experience physical healing. But here's the other good news, right? Is that this life is so temporary, it's so short, it doesn't feel like it, especially if you're suffering day by day, but it's short compared to eternity. When Christ returns, whether you are alive or dead at that point, he's going to transform your body into a body that will have no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. I love this scripture. Please remember this scripture if you are suffering. Remember it. Take it to heart. Believe it. Thank God for it. Revelation 21, verse 4, Jesus says this He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is talking about when we are resurrected and live with Him forever. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Can anyone say thank you, Jesus, for that? That's what we have to look forward to. Fact number one forgiveness of our sins is a greater need than even the physical healing of our bodies. Fact number two of forgiveness this morning, following in the notes, is this. Forgiveness of your sins is based on Christ's compassionate love for you, his compassionate love for you. Sometimes, whether it's a physical problem, or it's a a psychological problem, or an emotional problem, or a relationship problem, or a financial problem, or any kind of problem we're going through, we begin to doubt God's love for us. One way that he has shown us ultimately beyond anyone else has shown us his love is by his death and resurrection on the cross, his total forgiveness of sins. And the list goes on of what he's done for us. But his forgiveness of sins, no matter how bad things get, we can remember his love for us is real. When you start to doubt God, when you start to doubt his love for you, picture the cross, remember the cross, remember Christ crucified for you. The perfect, pure son of God willing to suffer for you. And Jesus forgave this man's sins, as we see here in verse 2, as they brought him to him. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I love the four words Jesus says to this man before he says your words are forgiven. First, he says, take heart. That means be encouraged. Yeah, interesting um, this this doesn't directly say that this man was a sinner, but many uh, Bible scholars believe that it could be the reason he was a paralytic was because of his sin. and the Bible does talk about that that because of our sin, God does discipline us. It doesn't mean every time we have a physical problem or an emotional problem it's because of sin directly, but sometimes it is. This man comes to him with a pile of sin like all of us do. He's expecting to be physically healed, but God forgives him spiritually he and he, he he says, take heart. I, I can't help but think of Peter when Peter and his buddies were fishing all night. They couldn't catch a single fish. And Jesus comes and does a miracle, and now they have literally a boatload of fish. Do you remember what Peter said to Jesus? It's in Luke 5, 8. He said to Jesus, this depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Do you ever feel like that when you realize the sins that you've done? Maybe you've been doing this sin and you're not even realizing that it's sinful and it comes to you at one point. Or maybe you look back on your life and you go, oh my goodness, that's so much sin that I I did. I never even realized it was sin. And we just think, God, I I can't come to you. I'm too guilty. I'm too shameful. Jesus says, take heart. And he also says, my son, my son. He doesn't just say son, which in that culture, when an older man would say to a younger man, it was, a, it was a term of affection. He also said, my son. He was taking ownership. He was accepting him fully. He's saying, take heart. Be encouraged. My son, I'm taking ownership. You are mine. I knit you together in my mother, your mother's womb. I'm accepting you. When we come to Jesus and we're overwhelmed at our sin, oh, God, just uh, uh, depart from me. Jesus is saying, let down your barriers, your boundaries, trust me and confess your sin to me and you will be forgiven. It's beautiful, isn't it? Take heart, my son. And I love the fact that when we come to faith in Christ and we finally believe that we need Jesus and we're trusting him for salvation and eternal life, we become adopted into his family, right? Let's read this scripture together. 1 John 3, 1 up on the screen. Let's read this together. I love this verse. It says, see, ready? See, What kind of love? I can't hear you guys. Let's try it again. Ready? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Jesus is saying, I fully accept you. You're mine. And maybe there's someone here this morning that you really need to hear this, right? You've been rejected by somebody, or there's a broken relationship you're in, or difficulty at work, marriage, Relationship with kids, relationship with other family, you're feeling rejected. Jesus is opening his arm and saying, I accept you. If you believe in me and trust in me, you're mine. Come to me. Take heart. Take heart, Jesus is saying. Be encouraged. My son, my daughter, I love you. Don't forget that. So, fact number two of God's forgiveness is that forgiveness of your sins is based on Christ's compassionate love for you. Let's not forget his love, even though we go through these hard times. Fact number three, if you're following in the notes, only God through Christ has the authority to forgive sins. I think it's kind of strange at first to think about there has to be authority to forgive sins. We often think, well, he just needs to love us and he'll forgive us. Well, yes, it's certainly based out of love, but there also has to be authority I don't have the authority to forgive Henry. By the end of this, he's going to think he's a big sinner, which we all are. Sorry, Henry. Um, I don't have the authority to forgive Henry. We don't have the authority to forgive anybody. Only God, the creator who we've sinned against, has the authority to do that. Christ is God. Christ has the authority. All of us, it says, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ in the end. He has the authority to pardon us or to hold us guilty for what we've done. Um, and, and notice the word authority in verse six. Jesus speaks of his authority to forgive. Verse six, he says, "But that you may know that the Son of Man has what? authority on earth to forgive sins, He then said to the paralytic, "Arise, pick up your bed and go home." Now, what we see in the Gospel of Matthew over and over is that Jesus is the king, the king of kings, and it talks about his authority over and over again. In Matthew uh, 5 through 7, which we looked at for quite a while, the Sermon on the Mount, the very end of those three chapters, the very end of his sermon, the people said, wow, we've never heard someone preach with such what? Authority, authority. And then the very next chapter, chapter 8, Jesus is proving that he is the one who has the authority to speak what he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount by showing him that he does have authority over our physical bodies by healing the centurion's servant and many others. Um, He shows that he has authority over the weather by calming the storm and the raging sea in chapter 8. He shows that he has authority over the spiritual realm, the the demonic that none of us have authority over. He shows that he has authority over the demonic by casting out those many demons from the two men at the gravesite. And here he shows that he has authority even over sin. He has authority to pardon sin. And he uses authority to do just that. No wonder at the end of Matthew in chapter 28, you'll see up on the screen here, verse 18, it says, and Jesus came, this is after his resurrection, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is king and he uses his authority to forgive us. Can anyone say, thank you, Jesus, for that? Because without him, without his grace, he'd use his authority to send us to where we deserve to go. So Jesus, uh, when he came, he would prove uh, who he was and what he claimed to be and what he did, what he said by miracles. That was one main point of his miracles. And so in verses six and seven, he tells this paralytic to rise up and walk and, and he walks. He did it to prove to the scribes and to everybody else that he has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus, after his death on the cross, did the most incredible miracle to prove to us that his death on the cross was the perfect payment to totally and completely wipe away every sin we've ever done. What did he do? What miracle did he do to prove that his death on the cross was everything we needed? What was it? He rose from the dead. I appreciate Romans 4.25 where it speaks of this. Uh, the apostle Paul, speaking of Jesus, it says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Part of what that means for our justification is God saying, let me prove to you that Jesus' death on the cross was everything you need to be forgiven for your sins. And then he rose him from the dead. And from that point on, for all of eternity, we will know that our sins are truly forgiven because of what Christ did for us. Who else has the authority to forgive our sins? Does Muhammad, Muhammad? Does Buddha, does the Dalai Lama, does Joseph Smith have the authority to forgive our sins? Do any of the the millions of the Hindu gods have the authority to forgive our sins? No, and the list goes on. Anyone who's claimed to be someone great does not have the authority. Only Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. Only Jesus was God in the flesh. Only Jesus died for our sins. All those other rulers were in it for themselves, selfishly getting followers to serve them. He served us by dying on a cross and only Christ was risen from the dead. He alone has the authority and he uses his authority to forgive our sins. Fact number four, if you're following the notes here about God's forgiveness, forgiveness is a gift from God that is freely given to you, to you who believe in Christ what good deed did you do in order to get God to forgive you? It would have to be something pretty great, because let me tell you, you have a mountain of sins over you. All the sins you've done, all the sins, I've done, it would have been something pretty great. Well, the Bible says, in fact, there's nothing we could do that could result in the forgiveness of our sins. It has to be by God's grace alone. What did the paralytic do to deserve forgiveness of sins? Nothing. He couldn't. Help ladies across the street. Uh, he couldn't do anything. He was a paralytic. And the Bible says that we were spiritual paralytics, so to speak, but even worse, we were dead. Ephesians 2 1 says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. What can a dead person do to deserve salvation? Nothing, right? It's all by God's grace. Jesus gave himself, he paid the price. I love Titus chapter 2, verse 14. You'll see that up on the screen. Speaking of Jesus, it says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. We couldn't save ourselves. Jesus said, I have to do it for you, and I will give myself. I often think, well, couldn't you have given like, you know, um, a galaxy or something? Like some, You gave yourself? You suffered yourself? Wow. Fifthly, if you're following the notes, a fifth fact and a final fact that we're going to look at this morning, though there are more we could look at, is this. Forgiveness is given to everyone who has genuine faith in Jesus. Genuine faith. And I love Jesus' words as as we see here in the second half of verse two. It says, And when Jesus saw their faith, the paralytic's faith, the faith of those who brought him, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. It's faith. We can never be good enough. And sometimes I hate that fact. I say, God, aren't I good enough yet? No. And you never will be. It's God's grace. So we have to be humble and go, the only reason... I can have a relationship with God, is his love, his grace, Christ's death and resurrection, nothing that I or you could do. The paralytic could do nothing. It was his faith. So let's think about if we're believers in Christ, what what is God saying to us here? Notice it says, when he saw their faith. Um, Do you think people in your life could see your faith? You see, we often think, well, my faith is a private thing. But actually, if you genuinely have faith in Christ, it's going to be seen in the way you treat people and the way you go through hardships. It's going to be seen in your actions and words, right? Am I right? Also, with forgiveness specifically, uh, and and faith in Christ's forgiveness, man, when when we finally believe in Christ to forgive us, we are forgiven. Yet God wants us to continue to keep short accounts daily, confessing to him when we've sinned and even saying, God, there's probably ways I didn't even even know I sinned today. Forgive me for that as well, right? Uh, Proverbs, look at that scripture with me up on the screen. Proverbs 28, 13, it says, whoever conceals his or her transgressions will not prosper. Uh, Good luck trying to conceal your sins from God, by the way. He knows it all. You can't hide it from him, right? But if we try to, we're not going to prosper. Um, but it says, but, but he or she who confesses and what? Forsakes them, their sins, will obtain what? Mercy. You see, because we, we often treat God kind of like a, a genie when it comes to forgiveness. You know, oh God, forgive me, I did this. I'm sorry, I confessed that sin. And then we have no intention of turning away from that sin. What God is telling us here is, you want forgiveness? Turn from that sin. Don't just confess it, forsake it. And he says this, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit lives within you to empower you and to change your desires. And I'm one to testify here that God has done that in my own life on multiple occasions. God can do it in your life. And as believers in Christ, let's, let's glorify God today and in the days to come when we're discouraged, when we feel like God doesn't love us, let's remember that the sin debt he canceled, the sin debt he paid for for us is greater than even my friends who had their mortgage debt, over $200,000, canceled. We have an even, even greater debt cancellation than that. Can anyone say, thank you, Jesus, for that, right? If you're here this morning and, and you're, you, you haven't yet said, okay, I believe in Jesus and I need Jesus for me, And I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. And I need his forgiveness. If you haven't said that yet to the Lord, if you haven't called out to him for forgiveness and eternal life and a relationship with God, do it this morning or do it soon. Listen, he's done all the work. Jesus died on that cross to forgive your sins, whether you realize it or not. And you've done way more sins than you could ever imagine. He knows them all. You can't get away with it, you can't can't hide from those sins. And and because of this, the Bible says that all of us are separated from God. And if we die separated from God, we're gonna spend eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. It's not a party down there, it's called the lake of fire. God doesn't want you to go there. That's why Jesus suffered and died for you. And, and Jesus says you don't have to work to earn that salvation. He wants to give it to you as a gift, a gift. So he's saying, receive that gift, confess that you are a sinner. Uh, tell him you believe in him, that he died for you, and that he did the impossible, and rose from the dead to prove that his death on the cross was everything you needed to be forgiven. Ask him to strengthen you, to turn from your sins, and to begin to live for him for this day forward. So if any of you are here this morning, and you're ready to do that, just follow along with me in prayer. Let's all bow in prayer, and if those of you who are believers this morning, pray for those who aren't, that they would trust and believe in Christ this morning. So, If if you would like to begin to follow Christ today and be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with him and have heaven to look forward to, pray something like this. Father, thank you so much for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering and dying on the cross for my sins. I have disobeyed you. I have done wrong. Oh God, I am sorry. Forgive my sins cleanse me. From this day forward, I I want to have a friendship with you. I want to live with you and for you. I believe that, Jesus, you died for my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you are alive again. May your Holy Spirit strengthen me to obey you and to trust you. Teach me your commandments and your word that I may obey you from this day forward. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. And all God's people said, amen. You know, if if you prayed that and you truly trust in Christ, then the Bible says that you are an adopted child of God. And so the important thing is, is that you begin to grow and get to know him in a relationship. I'd love to talk to you about that. Anyone with a, a lanyard on or someone you know who's a believer, please talk to them and ask them about how to grow in your relationship with God. Happy Mother's Day once again, and let's worship the Lord.